speaking together this morning about the anointed one, Jesus Christ himself. It's God who gives us our anointings. And I believe God has an anointing upon Dan's life for teaching and for healing. And I'm glad his mom-in-law is here today. I met her just briefly. Welcome. Yeah. <laughs> the anointing of oil was done when a person was taking on the role of a prophet, a king, or a priest. Uh, the oil was taken from the flask or from a ram's horn and poured onto the person's head, symbolizing God's presence and blessing upon that person. We're in this series, The Cross, God's Power to Deliver. We're purposing to linger at the cross and look at the cross from many different angles. And for whichever way you look, the cross is beautiful. The person on the cross is Jesus Christ. And the term Christ means anointed or anointed one. It's the equivalent of the Hebrew word Messiah. Anointed has connection with being anointed of God. Ironically, the anointing of Jesus flowed from a woman whose name was Mary, who anointed his head and his feet with her oil. This morning we'll look at three different roles of Christ in regards to the cross. Christ the prophet, and Christ the king, and Christ the high priest. So let's begin this morning in Luke chapter 7, verse 11, with Christ the prophet. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. Jesus was growing in popularity. No one had ever taught like Jesus taught. No one had ever done the miracles he had done. And his disciples and his crowd, disciples and a large crowd went along with him. There was joy in this crowd. There was much rejoicing in the goodness of God. There was life in this crowd. But as they approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. In the face of the life of Jesus, there was also death. And tragedy had struck this town. For there was a woman, and she was a widow. She had lost her husband. But now another tragedy had came into her life, the death of her son, her only son. That means she would have no one to take care of, and no one to take care of her. She was all alone in this world. And a large crowd, it says, from the town was with her, apparently trying to console her in her grief, her great loss, trying to comfort her. The procession would come from her home to the graveyard. and There would be flutes that were playing and people that were weeping and the body being carried. When Jesus saw her, his heart went out to her. Jesus was filled with compassion. Here you see the beautiful humanity of Jesus Christ. Then the face of loss, he felt her pain. He felt compassion for her. And he said to her, don't cry, perhaps hinting at a miracle. And when he came up, he touched the coffin, and those carrying it stood still. And he said in a voice of command, young man, I say to you, get up. Jesus Christ now was asserting his authority over death. And the dead man sat up and began to talk. Wouldn't you have loved to have been there to hear what he had to say? And Jesus gave him back to his mother. 
Jesus fulfilling his role as Messiah, exchanging a crown of beauty for those of ashes, comforting those who are mourning, replacing a garment of despair with a garment of blessing. Jesus now blessing this family gave the child back to his mother. And notice verse 16. They were all filled with awe, wouldn't you be, and praised God and said, A great prophet has appeared among us, and God has come to help his people. There's a young man who went away on our retreat. He um, goes to school over in Walkersville. He's a young man that Eric works with after school. And he couldn't afford to go away on retreat with us. Uh, he learned that we'd be playing football and slaughter, but he really wanted to go. And Eric said to him, you know, I think I can make a way for you to go. And he said, you would help me? And Eric said, it would be our greatest pleasure to help you go away on retreat. Now, he's been in the presence of many Christian people for this weekend, in the presence of the Holy Spirit, hearing the words of God being spoken. I'm really eager to hear what happened in his life. God has come to help his people. You see, when the prophet came to their city, God had come to help them, help his people. Elijah was a prophet. He went to a village called Zarephath, and there he went, met a widow at the town gate. The widow had only one son, and the son had died. And Elijah prayed, O Lord, let his life return back to him. And the, the life of the son came back, and Elijah said, your son is alive. And the woman said, now I know you are a man of God. You see, this woman felt as if there was no hope for her. And Jesus breathed hope into her hopeless situation. Jesus Christ, the prophet. And Jesus would prophesy himself. In Mark chapter 8, in verse 31, Jesus said, he began to teach them many things. He taught them the Son of, Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. Jesus taught them that he himself would suffer, that he would be rejected, that he would be crucified, and that he would rise again on the third day. First of all, suffering. Sufferings would flow into the life of Jesus, even as sufferings flow into our lives. Saul was chosen of God, and God said to him, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. And Jesus Christ suffered. There he had a disciple whose name was Judas. And Judas was the keeper of the money bag, and often would pilfer into that bag. And Ju Judas would sell him out and betray him for 30 pieces of silver. Judas had cut a deal with the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin had the religious rulership of the city. They were plotting against him, and Jesus would suffer. At one point, Pilate would take Jesus and give him to the soldiers, and the soldiers would flog the back of Jesus. They would bear his body and tie his hands to a post and take a Roman whip, it was called a flagellum, and the person dispensing the punishment was called a lictor. And what was happening there was Jesus was receiving licks. He did not deserve being flogged. Oh, how he would suffer. 
and identify with them who also are suffering. And Paul would write, you've been chosen not only to believe, but also to suffer for his name's sake. And to be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law. The elders were the gray-haired ones. And the chief priest, he was the one who went into the Holy of Holies and made atonement for the people and interceded on their behalf. And the teachers of the law, they they sat in the seat of Moses and taught people the laws of Moses. That Jesus must suffer, that Jesus must be rejected. He was a man of sorrows, much despised, rejected by his own people. He came unto his own, but his own received him not. And then Jesus predicted before it happened that he would be crucified. And crucifixion, according to Cicero, was the most cruel and horrifying of all deaths. Crucifixion was reserved for the worst of the criminals. When a governor announced someone to be crucified, he would say, Ibis ad crucem, which means you will go straight to the cross. When a man was to be crucified, there would be a dispatch of four soldiers. One soldier would lead the prisoner forth through the city streets, carrying the crime of the prisoner. In this case, his name was Jesus. He was from Nazareth. His only crime was he was king of the Jews. One soldier would follow behind, and two soldiers at either side. And the uh, prisoner was required to carry the cross, the crossbeam, behind his neck. And we know that Jesus carried his own cross. We know that Jesus faltered because of the loss of blood and weakness on his journey to Calvary. And once they arrived at the site, outside the city gate, on this little hillside, one of the soldiers would take his knee and press it into the elbow and find the soft spot. You'll find it there at the intersection of your hand and your wrist. He would find the soft spot, and there he would bore a five-inch nail through that soft spot onto the cross. And then he would take his other hand and also affix it to the cross. And there the person would hang until they died. Jesus, before he was crucified, predicted that he would also go to the cross. But then he said, on the third day, the Son of Man will rise again. He said, destroy this temple, and in three days I will rise again. Jesus Christ predicted, as a prophet, that he would suffer, that he would be rejected, that he would be crucified, and on the third day rise again. He was speaking plainly about this, not hiding it from his disciples. But Peter took him aside, it says in verse 32, and began to rebuke him. Far be it from you, Lord, to be crucified, Peter may have said. He knew that Jesus came as king to bring forth his kingdom. He deserved glory and honor as king. Lord, never shall you go to the cross. Peter was being a little bossy trying to tell Jesus what he should do. Now, just before this, Jesus said, and who do you say that I am? And Peter said, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, flesh and blood has not revealed this unto you, but my Father's which which is in heaven. And upon this rock, upon this confession, I will build my church. Peter was the rock. 
But now he had become a stumbling block to Jesus on his path to the cross. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. The maxim of Satan is, preserve yourself at all costs. Indulge yourself, self-interest. Jesus had heard that word in the wilderness when he was tempted. That if you are the Son of God, prove it by turning these stones into bread. But Jesus said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And he said, you do not have, Peter, in mind the things of God, but the things of men. You're thinking like a man. You're not thinking like God. And then Jesus said his very famous words then. He called the crowd to him and said to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. The cross was not only for Jesus to carry, but the cross was also for us to take up. He said, first of all, you must deny yourself. Now, that's an unpopular message. (laughs) Because our world would say, indulge yourself. Satiate yourself. Pamper yourself. But Jesus would say, deny yourself. Denying yourself has to do with dying to yourself. Dying to it is all about me. The world is all about me. A self-centered life. Secondly, Jesus would say, take up your cross. Now, we might think that the cross is a heavy weight to carry, as if I have to drag my cross all the way through life. I am bearing a heavy cross. I've heard it said many times, I'm in a bad marriage and I'm bearing my cross. I'm in a tough class and I'm bearing my cross. To bear the cross is to follow the footsteps of Jesus Christ, to imitate his life, even if it means suffering. The cross is the crossroads to life. It is to leave death behind and to step forth into life, to take your cross into the marketplace, to take your cross into the hospital, to take your cross onto the mission field. You see, this is a prerequisite for being a Christian, to take up your cross and to follow him. Whenever Jesus called somebody, he called them to follow him. And Matthew left everything behind at his tax collector's booth and followed him. And the disciples left their fishing business behind and followed him. The call of Jesus Christ is deny yourself and take up your cross every day and follow him. Follow him wherever he leads you, yielding, surrendering your life to him. For whoever wants to save his life, whoever wants to protect his life, whoever wants to hang on to his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. (laughs) It Reminds me of the words of Jim Elliot who said, He is no fool who loses that which he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. There are many who are trying to save their life or be in control of their life or to preserve their life, but ultimately they will lose their life. But those who lose their life for Christ and for the gospel's sake will find life and truly life. He says, for what good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit or lose his soul? You see, your soul 
is very precious. Your soul is priceless. And what profit would it be to you if you were to gain the entire world with all the wealth of this world and yet to lose your soul? Then Jesus said, just before the cross, he said these words, And when I am lifted up from this earth, I will draw all men to myself. He said this to show what kind of death he was going to die. You see, Jesus was not crucified in a private place. He was crucified in a public place. Outside the city of Jerusalem, on a hillside we know as Calvary, the crossroads of mankind, hundreds of thousands of people would be coming to the city for the Passover. And there they would see Jesus, the very talk of their town, the one who gave sight back to the blind, who raised forth the dead. They would see Jesus being crucified, being lifted up. And what we're doing this day in this place is lifting up the name of Jesus Christ. We are lifting up the Son of God. We are making what God did visible. We are proclaiming the death of our Savior. We're looking at love's greatest measure, the cross of Jesus Christ. He said, and when I am lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. All we have to do is lift up the name of Jesus. All we have to do is see that Jesus on the cross. All we have to believe there is that Jesus is dying for our sins in order for us to receive life. Christ himself was the prophet, but he also was the king. We read in Luke chapter 23 that the whole assembly led him off to Pilate. You see, the Sanhedrin had come to the conviction that Jesus Christ must die. He had the crowds following after him, and they were jealous of him. So they condemned him to die. And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this man subverting our nation. He opposes payment of taxes to Caesar, and he claims to be a Christ, a king. First off, they were making false charges and accusations about Jesus. Jesus did nothing to subvert the nation. And he never opposed payment of taxes to Caesar. He was asked, is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? And I really wish the answer of Jesus was different. He was asked, is it right to pay the taxes to Caesar? And Jesus, knowing their intent, said, show me a coin. Whose inscription is upon this coin? It was Caesar's. And Jesus said, then give to Caesar what is Caesar's, but give to God what is God's. They made their accusations against them, but the accusations were all false. So Pilate looked to Jesus and said, are you the king of the Jews? Tell me straight up. And Jesus said, yes, it is as you say. Now I'm sure that Pilate began to tremble in the presence of the true king. Pilate had maneuvered himself through the Roman Senate so as to secure his governorship. And he was very worried about being removed from that high position. But now he was looking face to face with him who was the true king of the Jews. And Pilate announced to the chief priest in the crowd, I find no basis for a charge against this man. You see, five times Pilate would try to release Jesus because upon his examination he could find no fault with this man. He who knew no sin became sin 
that we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus was impeccable. Jesus was without sin. Pilate could never find fault with him. In fact, Pilate heard from his wife, have nothing to do with that innocent man, for I suffered in a dream this night because of him. Sometimes we should just listen to our wives. But Pilate didn't listen to his conscience. He didn't listen to the evidence. He didn't listen to his wife. And Pilate called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people and said to them, You brought me this man as one who's inciting the people to rebellion. I have examined him in your presence and have found no basis for the charges against him. Therefore, I will punish him and then release him. How ironic, right? Pilate Pilate examined him, found no guilt in him, but now would punish him. Perhaps the hope of Pilate was having Jesus being flogged would be sufficient to evoke compassion on the part of the crowd and the Pharisees that wanted him dead. So they took him to the soldiers' barracks, and there they buried his body. And they took the Roman whip, and they whipped him. And they put a crown of thorns upon his head, and they put the Roman garment upon him and said, Hail, King of the Jews. Finally, Pilate handed them over, handed Jesus over to be crucified. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus and carrying his own cross. The picture of Jesus now is carrying his own cross through the streets of Jerusalem. You see, this was the last chance for someone to step up and be a witness and defend his innocence. But no one stood up. And here they crucified him along with two others, one on one side, one on the other, and Jesus in the middle. And Pilate, the governor, had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross, which read, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus, his name meaning salvation. Nazareth, the town he was from. And his crime, the king of the Jews. And many people read this sign. It was written in Hebrew, the language of the Jews. It was written in Latin, the language of the law, the Romans. It was written in Greek, the language of the people. You see, the people passing by could see Jesus being crucified and his crime above his head, king of the Jews. And the leader said, this man only claimed to be the king of the Jews. And what Pilate said is, what I have written, I have written. Jesus then was the prophet who prophesied his own suffering, rejection, crucifixion, resurrection. Jesus Christ was the king, and he was crucified on a cross, and his only crime, the king of the Jews. But Jesus also was the high priest, and what he did on the cross was he became our high priest, and Dan comes down to speak about that. have um, just uh, met Jesus the prophet and Jesus the king, and now we're going to see him as high priest. Um, Very powerful, powerful thing to realize that today. You sat in the presence of your high priest, not only your king, but your high priest, and you may not realize it. 
Um, <clears throat> so we, we've learned these two titles. R has introduced us to these two titles, and now we're going to be talking about him as high priest. Um, in Hebrews 4, 14, and 16, it says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. You might be asking yourself, why wasn't it um, the prophet, <clears throat> the high priest, and then king? Okay, but it changes order. He was prophet, prophesying and giving us the good news that he was going to be our Messiah. Okay, and then he was declared king of the Jews, king of a righteous nation, king of you and I. Okay, then he takes on the role of priest, and the reason why that's changed is a king ruled over. A nation, a king could give pardon. He could pardon, you know, wrongdoings. Our president certainly has the ability to pardon somebody on death row if he chooses to, whether we agree or not. And if he declares a pardon, then the person's pardoned. So a king had a right to pardon, but only a high priest can atone for sin. See, a king cannot pronounce you sinless. Only the high priest can. Okay? So that's why it's changed. So now we, in studying the cross, we are looking at Jesus on the cross and we ask ourselves, when did he take up the proper role of high priest? He did it on the cross. Okay? As he hung on the cross and wrongs were being done to him, he began to act in the capacity of a high priest by declaring from the cross to you and I and to those there present who had beat him, scoffed him, spit on him, stripped him naked, denied him, falsely accused him, okay, wronged him, he began to act as high priest, declaring, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Acting as a high priest. See, because only a priest can atone for sin. I'm going to show you, we might think that the cross was established on Golgotha. It wasn't. It just so happened that Jesus was crucified on Golgotha. But the cross was established long ago in the, in the Old Testament in the original tabernacle of the Israelites. You might say, well, wait a minute. The cross didn't have anything to do with Israel. Oh, it did. It had everything to do with Israel. And we have a diagram we're going to pull up. I'm going to show you this very interesting thing. If you were to ask me to define the cross, this is how I would have to respond to you. Defining the cross, number one, is not an icon. Okay? And a lot of churches have taken them out. That's sad. Because we need tangible symbols to remind us. They're okay. It's not just jewelry. If you're wearing a cross today, I, you know, I hope you uh, got it on a good deal, but... It's just, the cross is not just jewelry. If I were to define the cross, I would have to tell you to me and to you, the cross is a 180 degree, 180 degree turn. 
The cross is transcendent. Did you know I have this um, lost and found relationship with my keys? <clears throat> and if you've ever been anywhere with me or you've been in my house, a lot of times I go to my car and I don't know what's wrong with me, but the car won't start. That's because my keys are laying on the counter next to the coffee pot. So I have to go in and I have to take up my keys and go back to the car. See, we're admonished to take up our cross. See, R and I were having a conversation. We see that as, oh, you mean I have to drag this cross through life? That's not what it means. The cross is not a burden to us. The cross is every bit the gateway and the entrance into the Holy of Holies. Every bit. If you were to go, if you were be, to be taking part in worship at the true, the original tabernacle, you would have entered in through this little area right here. And I want to tell you something. Notice that the tabernacle, God said, do not set it south and north. And forgive me if I have to turn my back to you. I don't mean to be rude. Um, he said, set it west to east. You know why? This is really profound. I studied this like a year ago. I, I wept over some of the things that God showed me. He said, east to west. There is a north pole and a south pole, but there's no west pole and an east pole. That's why God is able to say to us, your sins will be removed from you as far as the east is from the west because it's a continual circle. It never stops. Does that do anything for you this morning? Hey, you can say amen. You can shout. You can jump up. It's not going to bother me at all, okay? <clears throat> In fact, if you jump, I'll jump. So you would enter here. Some of you need to be really glad this morning that when you entered there in the tabernacle at the brazen altar, that was the place of sacrifice. It was a really messy place. If you were entering into the tabernacle in, in um, biblical times, you would have had to drag a lamb, goat, or a heifer with you this morning. Aren't you glad you didn't have to bring a heifer with you this morning? Okay, I do that every day. I don't want to bring one on Sunday. <clears throat> And it would be sacrificed there, and that's where the blood of atonement would be shed, okay? Blood had to be shed for the forgiveness of sin. And then you would move on after you had confessed there. And I want to talk about this right here, atonement and confession and repentance, and I say renouncing. See, confession and repentance are not the same thing. If I wrong R, which God forbid will ever happen, Okay, because I don't think it will. But if I were to wrong him and I have to go to him and say, all right, I wronged you, all I've done is confess. All I've, said, all I've done is say, you know what, I did you wrong. See you. But if I repent, I'm going to say, all right, I did you wrong, and I want you to forgive me. I am sorry. True repentance always uses the word sorry. Otherwise, it's just confession. So we are called here, you would do confession, and repentance, and blood would be shed for the offense. I don't know what you're bringing this morning that maybe you need to confess or repent. We all have something. So there's no fingers pointing here. We're all on level ground at the cross. No one stands any higher than anybody else. And the interesting thing about the cross is you can't go for me, I can't go for you. And I'm kind of glad for that, because you may not take care of business for me. You know? <laughs> I don't know, you just may not do it the way I need it done. And I can't, may not do it for you. So we stand there individually 
in a relationship with Jesus. So you would confess and you would um, repent and atone right there. And then you would, re- you would move to the brazen labor. You might say, Dan, I don't know what this has to do with the cross. Just hang in there, okay? <clears throat> and then the la- at the brazen labor, you would wash yourself. You would cleanse yourself. Because see, repentance always brings cleansing. Confession always brings cleansing. If you want to get something out of your deep soul that's eating away at you, get someone to pray forgiveness over you and confess it. And confess it to Father God. He'll unlodge it. Okay? Otherwise, we don't allow Jesus to be who he is. Jesus will not heal and forgive anything that he cannot assume. Did you hear what I said? He will not take you by storm. He will not hold you down kicking and screaming. If that's what you've been waiting for, not going to happen. He will only heal and deliver what you give him. Okay, he is a gentleman. He's very gentle, non-threatening. Okay, very non-threatening. So you would cleanse right there. And then you would be allowed to go into the holy place. And you would be allowed, notice here, that the table of shoe bread and then the golden candlestick. If this was a tabernacle, on one side would be shoe bread, representing the bread of Christ, which we're going to take part in this morning. On the other side would be the candlestick, representing the light of Christ. See, Christ and the, and the cross is all through here. So laid out that way. And then you would enter in and you would approach the altar of incense. At the altar of incense is where pure worship took place. You were not allowed to go to the altar of incense without stopping here. You know why I think a lot of us never get to the place of pure, true worship? Because we don't stop at the brazen altar for confession and repentance. And in Exodus 30, God told Aaron... On this altar, I want you every morning and every night to burn sweet incense and worship me. And one thing I'm going to tell you, Aaron, don't ever offer anything there that's unholy and not cleansed. And then if you move forward, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing, you can find it in the Bible, Aaron's two sons went one time without repentance and cleansing and went into the altar of incense, worship, presented unholy sacrifice, and the fire of God consumed them. So sometimes I think that the reason why we have trouble in true worship and entering into his presence is we've not stopped by repentance and confession and renouncing. Because see, it's not enough to repent, confess your sin and repent of it. Sometimes we have to renounce union with things of the enemy. This past year, two years, maybe this year, I learned something from God. God said, Dan, every time you practice sin, a, a person said this to me. I heard it in a sermon, in a message. And it just went right deep into me. Every time I practice sin, I'm advancing the, the kingdom of darkness. I don't want to do that. Not anymore. It's not in my capacity to advance the enemy's kingdom. Okay, so you're here. Notice it's laid out in a cross. In the tabernacle. The pattern is laid out in a cross. So then when did Jesus start becoming the high priest? And then standing right there would be a priest. And you would, once you've done all your sacrifice and your cleansing and your worship, the priest would go in and he would atone for your sins. Okay? So Jesus is now on the cross and he's, he's crying out, forgive them for they know not what they do. Okay? And scripture says that in Luke twenty three forty four. 
45 says, It was now about the sixth hour, and darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour. For the sun stopped shining, and the curtain of the temple was torn. In that diagram, there was a curtain separating the person worshiping and Father God. And at the time of Jesus' crucifixion, the Bible tells us that curtain was torn, and Jesus takes up the place of the high priest and the torn curtain. You know why? This is really good news for you and I. The high priest was no longer needed. Jesus becomes the high priest. And Jesus stands there and he says, he stands between Dan Green and Father God who have been separated. I can't look upon him. He can't look upon me because I have to have atonement of sin. And Jesus stands there as our high priest and he says, Dan Green, Father God. He says, Father God, Dan Green is here. He becomes our high priest. He says, our Father God. Father God, ours here. And God, for the first time, and Dan Green can look eye to eye. I want that to sink in. Dan Green and Father God, because Jesus is now my high priest and has gone to the cross for me and shed his blood for me and from the cross has cried out to me, forgive him for he knows not what he does, to Father God, I now stand there, Father God looks at me, I look at him, and Jesus brings us together, non-threatening. Because the curtain is now rent, pulled back, And I can enter into the Holy of Holies because he is my high priest. It's powerful. That does a churning in my heart, in my spirit. Myself and you who maybe have spent, spent years separated from Father God and now brought nigh to him Because Jesus chooses to become my high priest and to pronounce me not pardoned. See, you might be sitting here and maybe you've talked your way out of a traffic ticket. (laughs) I never did. Oh, he's got the full Monty. Okay. (laughs) One time, four times in one month. Talk about confession. Cost me a bundle of joy. Mm. Um, But I don't stand here pardoned. I stand here forgiven. Okay? That's a difference. Because somewhere there's a document that said Dan Green was pardoned, but in forgiveness there's no document. See? Because it's wiped away. Because it goes back to the east and the west. It's cast away from me as far as the east is from the west. I can't even find it. That has to do something for you this morning. I don't know what the enemy is heaping on you. I don't know what life is heaping on you. I don't know how, what, what journey you had to come and get here today. Chances are the road was bumpy. I know it was wet. <laughs> okay? I don't know what you're going through this morning. Could I have the diagram of the tabernacle back up, please? 
And I don't know where, what you, where you are right here, but I ask you this morning, we're going to be doing bread and cup. I ask you that you spend time at, that, at the altar of burnt offerings. Because see, this tabernacle doesn't exist anymore. There's replicas of it around the world. Do you know where this tabernacle is now? Do you know where it is? Right here. This tabernacle is now right here. You are, the word says, don't you know that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit? Don't you know that you are the tabernacle of God? This whole thing, when Jesus rent the curtain, took up place as high priest, transposes right into you and I. And we are that tabernacle. And so this morning, I'm going to ask you, take time to dwell here a little bit. You know, I don't know what you're confessing and repenting from. Maybe it's adultery. I don't know. Maybe it's, it's fornication. I don't know. Maybe it's pornography. I don't know. Maybe it's deception. Maybe it's lying. Maybe it's uh, just not caring. Maybe you're numbing, turning off. Maybe you're indulging. Maybe it's drug addiction. Maybe it's, it's spousal abuse or child abuse. Or maybe you've been abused and you're shut down. But whatever you bring to this altar, Jesus has already atoned for it. And you have to let him assume it. He will not heal anything he cannot assume. Okay? And spend a little time in the cleansing pool. Allow God and the Holy Spirit. You know why most of us don't want to deal with forgiveness and confession and repentance? You know why we don't deal, like to deal with forgiveness? I truly believe this with all my heart. We struggle with forgiveness because some of us sit here and we really don't believe that we've been forgiven. And you won't hand out, you won't walk in something that you don't believe yourself. And the word tells us everything contrary to that. As we take bread and cup today, Becky and I are going to be reading some of the titles from God's word concerning you and I. And as you leave today, you're going to get a list called Who I Am in Christ. See, because the enemy has heaped lots of curses on us, we have adopted our own curses. We have spoken curses over ourselves, self-fulfilled prophecies that are not true. Because someone said, you're a loser, we go, well, then I'm going to be a really good loser. That's not God's intention for us. So spend a little time being cleansed, and then go into the holy place at the altar of incense and offer up your pure worship in bread and cup this morning. I'm going to ask that they come and take position as they get ready. I'm going to ask Becky if she'll come to the platform. So we've talked today about Jesus being the prophet, Jesus being the king. But you know what? The most powerful thing for Dan Green is that Jesus is my high priest. He is my high priest. He represents me before Father God. Willingly, joyfully, And no matter how I spend my day out there running around trying to to nullify and, and ignore what God's doing in me, Jesus is steadily my high priest. Okay? You see the bread and cup stations around this morning? Let's stand, please. And the, and the sacrament of bread and cup, um, 
bread and cup is for true believers in Jesus Christ. You do not need to be a member of uh, Grace Community Church to partake. If you are not a believer in Jesus and if the Lord is nudging you at this time to place your faith there, we ask that you do so. You can do that where you stand or someone can pray with you as you make that decision. For those who are not believers and are not ready to make that this decision, we kindly ask you to not participate based on scriptural teachings. Parents, please work with your children to take communion. And feel free to return to your seat and to come to the altar or gather at the cross. We've been talking about the cross this morning. So many of us are threatened by the image of the cross, but you know it's at the cross that healing takes place. It's at the cross that you can literally take those things that you're carrying and you can leave them there, never to pick them up again. Never to pick them up again just by going to the cross. So feel free to uh, use the altar. There are going to be people praying. We have people with um, those administrating the um, sacrament that will pray with you after if you take your sacrament, if you'd like to step to one side and be prayed for, be agreed with, be blessed, be released. Um, Whatever the need is, we'll pray with you. And you uh, feel free to take the bread and and, uh, cup at any time while the music's playing. And as you're doing this too, Becky and I are going to be reading from the Bible, from Scripture, our true titles. Take time to hear them. If one jumps out at you, grab that title and hold on to it. And let it silence a curse of the enemy. Maybe you're here this morning, and I feel in my spirit this morning, There might be someone here this morning who the enemy just this morning said, you know what, you're wasting your time. He's a liar. He's a liar. Or you'll never be healed. You'll never be set free. You'll never get free of that addiction. That's a lie. So this morning, let this morning be that moment at the cross that you have a breaking point and a healing time, okay? Feel free to come forward at any time. In 1 Peter 1, God says, God's child, for I am born again of the incorruptible seed of the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. Ephesians chapter chapter 1, verse 7 tells us, I am forgiven of all my sins and washed in the blood. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 says, I am the temple of the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 tells us, I am a new creature. Deuteronomy 28 says, I am blessed. Colossians chapter 1 tells us, I am delivered from the power of darkness and translated into God's kingdom. 1 Peter 1.16, Ephesians 1.4 says, Holy, I am holy and without blame before him in love.
Ephesians chapter 2 tells us, I am made nigh by the blood of Christ. Revelations 21.7 says, I am victorious. John chapter 8, I am set free. Ephesians 6.10 says, I am strong in the Lord. Romans chapter 6 tells us, I am dead to sin. Romans 8.37 says, I am more than a conqueror. Romans chapter 8 says, I am a joint heir with Christ. Romans 8.1 says, I am free from condemnation. Ephesians chapter 1 tells us, I am sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Colossians 2.10 says, I am complete in him. Colossians chapter 2 says, I am qualified to share in his inheritance. Ephesians 1.3 says, I am overtaken with blessings. Matthew chapter 5 says, I am the salt of the earth. Second Corinthians 5.21 says, I am the righteousness of God. Second Peter chapter 1 tells us, I am a partaker of his divine nature. First Peter 2.9 says, I am chosen. Amen. Ephesians chapter 2 says, I am God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Psalm 17, 8 says, I am the apple of my father's eye. Amen. 1 Peter chapter, four, chapter 2 tells us, I am healed by the stripes of Jesus. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, I am being changed into his image. Colossians chapter 2 tells us, I am raised up with Christ and seated in heavenly places. Ephesians 1.11 says, I have obtained an inheritance. Colossians chapter 3 tells us, I am beloved of God. Philippians 4.17 says, I have the peace of God which passes all understanding. Philippians 2.5 says, I have the mind of Christ. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things in Christ Jesus.
Second Corinthians chapter two tells us, I always triumph in Christ. And finally, Colossians three three says, My life is hid with Christ and God. Can I share something that the Lord laid on my heart right there? Um, as this morning, you've experienced a breakthrough. If you've encountered, I know there are those here still praying. We would love to hear from you as to what God's doing in your life. Because the word says that we will overcome by the word of our testimony and the blood of the Lamb. And if God has wrought a deliverance in your life or a healing or even an awareness of how, how he responds to you or has initiated, would you call the office or send an email? I, I, I love testimonies. I love giving my own. And um, we would love to hear your testimony. We'd love to hear what God's doing in your life, in your walk, as you worship here at Grace, or even if you don't worship with us and you're a visitor, if something was deeply touched this morning and, and the course of things, if this morning you experienced a 180-degree turn, would you do us a favor and bless us by letting us know what's going on? You can do it anonymously if you want. That's okay. Or you can tell us your name. We just want to share in your testimony your story. Okay? And... and I will tell you this, there was a day when I did not think, I did not comprehend what my story had to do with anybody other than me and him. But over the years, he's used it so powerfully to touch people's lives. And your healing, your testimony could be healing, delivering words to someone else. Your testimony could open someone's cell door to freedom, someone's locked door someone's belief into healing and deliverance. Okay, so I just said, I encourage you to do that and bless us with it. Ours is going to come and close in prayer. Thank you. Father in heaven, thank you for meeting with your people. Thank you that you are God. You're ever present to us, Lord. You're near to us. And you draw us to yourself. We lift up the name of Jesus, the name above every other name, the name at which all men will bow, whether in heaven, on earth, or below the earth. We exalt the name of Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, our high priest and our great king and our prophet. We thank that you are our God. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless.